Welcome to the Parker Avery Group's Talk Retail to Me podcast and new for 2023 video series. In each episode, our consulting professionals cover key retail and CPG topics and offer pragmatic insights that will add value to your operations and initiatives. Good afternoon. This is Trisha Gustin. I'm the Senior Director of Marketing for Parker Avery. And joining me today are Deanna Emsley, Mike Johnson, and Marty Anderson. And we are going to talk all things hierarchy and the importance of retailers uh, of getting this right. So you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Right. Let's jump on in. Let's start off with what do we mean by a retail hierarchy? What's the definition? Yeah, I can start with that. Um, when, first of all, hierarchy often is a, a little, I don't know, it takes you back when you're a business person. It's usually a, a phrase that comes in a pretty disjointed sentence from a technical partner or a software partner, and you, you get started down a rabbit hole where you're not even sure what we're talking about. So I love that that's where we're gonna start today. When people use the word hierarchy, they mean structuring or organizing your information, your business information, in a way that creates parent-child relationships. So if we think about apparel, that's usually a pretty common way of starting an example. A women's business might break down, that might be the parent at the high level, they might break down the information about their products into women's sweaters, women's dresses, women's shirts, and so on. And women's dresses itself would have children under that layer. So that's a parent. And it would have children that describe what kinds of dresses, maybe fancy dresses and casual dresses and maxi dresses and so on. So when we talk about a hierarchy, we're just talking about a way of organizing information. And there's usually three types of hierarchies that are primary in organizing our information. Product, which is the example I was just talking about, the stuff we sell and own the places where we sell and own it. That's often referred to as a location hierarchy. That itself is a bit of a misnomer because one of the places we sell is the e-commerce channel and that's not a location in the classic English use of that word, but we refer to that hierarchy as a location hierarchy probably too often. And then the third one that again, in this three-legged stool that we at least have to talk about product, location, the third stool, third leg of that stool is time or calendar. So when did I sell it? When did I own it? Um, And usually there's only two options for that, a fiscal calendar or a Gregorian calendar, but there are flavors within each of those. But I think one of the the easiest ways, and and Deanna kind of uh, alluded to it in the way that she defined those is, it's it's what, it's where, and it's when. And I think that's the easiest way to really uh, break it down to the elements that it really is. And so there could be variances with how those are structured based on what business you're in and, and how your, your business is organized. But it boils down to really those kind of three key elements that are a little bit more universal than uh, we like to speak of uh, hierarchies in general, not being particularly universal. So, Got it. What, where, and when? But my next question was going to be, is there an industry standard? And it sounds like that's no. Yeah, my, my opinion is particularly on the product, the what side of this three-legged stool we'll keep talking about. I, I think it's really difficult to claim that there's a standard. Um, but there are some rules 
that we, we try to teach people to follow, such as in my example of women's got broken down into things like dresses. Well, that next layer, the siblings on that layer should be somewhat analogous to each other. So I shouldn't have a sibling of women's that has 10,000 SKUs in it and another sibling of women's. So in my example of dresses, it could be sweaters next that has only 50 SKUs in it. That, that makes it very difficult for software and analytics and ultimately usually your processes to make good use of these structures. And that's what the hierarchies are for. They're meant to help you manage and organize all this information about your business so you can do things with that information instead of just pass it along from tool to tool. So I, I know the other day when we started kind of planning for this podcast, we talked a lot about the interrelation with hierarchy and master data management. Can we talk about that as we you know talk about some best practices and maintaining the hierarchy? I think that Deanna mentioned it really well earlier when you were talking about standardization um, and common practices, like time is pretty standard. Like that one's usually the easiest. You have a couple of choices. Um, usually it's about which levels that you need in, but it's pretty simple usually to get alignment and follow up on. Location is the next most direct and simple. People are usually even managing, you know, their location hierarchy, it's division, it's region, it's how you want to group your selling locations. The, the thing that has added complexity is when channels started evolving and Deanna mentioned that you've got your e-com or your marketplace channels and, and those also kind of go into that hierarchy. And so that can add some different levels of complexity, certainly if you're running business under different banners or different financial entities, um, that can cause a little bit of complication there, but they're still usually simpler to organize around than the others. It, it's really the product because it, it can be different rules by different business type and business size, which I think um, Deanna was going to like make your hierarchy levels meaningful, make sure that um, you're honoring the um, strategic intent of your business and how you're trying to plan and, and what you're trying to get out of that hierarchy, whether it's plan being planful, whether it's analytics and how you group things together, or, or is it how you're selling and how you're organizing your data or your, your assortment and, and things of that nature. So back to the master data and, and, how that's managed like how does what do they have to do with each other let's talk about a little bit of that i would say master data i'm just gonna use that phrase for a minute and keep the m at the end of that out of it for a second <laughs> master data is is the umbrella term under which hierarchies exist but they are not synonymous with each other so master data also would include information such as i do business with those thousands of suppliers and I need to buy from them in these ways. I need to pay them in these ways. I need to contact them in these ways. Those would all be examples of master data that have nothing to do with the hierarchy structures and organization we were just talking about. But the hierarchies are another component of master data. So I think uh, I'm, often I hear people use master data management, which is what the MDM stands for. Uh, they, people, I think, use them synonymously with hierarchy, much like AI and ML get used synonymously, and, and one is encompassed within the other, but they're not the same thing. So master data management usually has software, like a software component where it, it is designed to manage all of that information. So the examples of all the supplier information I was telling you, hierarchy information, et cetera, that would all be managed and controlled and, and 
farmed out, so provided to other solutions from a master data management solution. So the hierarchy would be maintained in an MDM? It can be. It yeah, can, it can be. be. Does it have to be? I, well, I think what all, what all of us will tell you is what we often find is it is managed there and other places. And that's where the problem begins. So I, I, I'll give, I'll give a, a common example that's, that comes from a, a place of very good intent, but it causes quite a lot of, of friction in the processes. It is very rational for a marketing team to say, that's cute the way you guys organize women's into dresses, but people don't shop our website that way. They come to the website saying, hey, it's Mother's Day coming up. I'm looking for a, an occasion outfit, and that may end up serving up dresses, but it may also end up serving up skirts and blouses and shoes and, and et cetera, et cetera. And so a marketing team may have a hierarchy. They may not call it that, but they have a, a taxonomy for their website that anyone in the IT or process world would recognize as a type of hierarchy, but they've managed it and created it somewhere outside of the MDM or the core merchandising system where the real hierarchy exists. And they're both right and they're both valuable, but it's just an example of where we can see lots of hierarchical structures be born and used throughout an organization for very good reasons, but it causes quite a lot of friction when the teams then come back together and say, hey, how did our Mother's Day promotion work? Well, we're answering that question using almost different language, which isn't helpful. How does that friction get eased? If, if it needs to be, because it sounds- It does need to be. Um, and this is such a silly, oversimplified answer, but it's communication. It has to start with the marketing team. And in this example, maybe the merchandising and planning organizations would be the other key stakeholders in that discussion, all agreeing, hey, we are gonna look at this, this Mother's Day event in different ways. And here's how we're going to measure our success in common ways when this event is over. Yeah, I agree. Run into a lot of clients and business scenarios where there can be friction between that digital team and the product team, especially if they're really disconnected. And the, I think Deanna was really speaking to it well. It's like there are levels where the more you overlap, the easier it is for everyone, you know, because you're kind of building your plans and your budgets and you're kind of managing your business more associated with customer choice patterns. So the closer you can marry those two, it is better for you. But Financially and from a workload standpoint, it's just not going to be efficient for you to have all those same levels in your your actual product hierarchy, as an example, um, that you're putting in your your true foundational data, uh, because that's where you're taking actions. Those have to be actionable levels where you're going to make big changes in your investment. You're trying to understand what you're investing in products and how that's going to be presented to your customer. The communication piece is making sure that as you do those, and usually there's an annual review of your hierarchies just to make sure they're con consistent because as retail changes and people's product choices change and what we offer on the market changes, you always are kind of finding new things that become important and other things that may be less important. So they're, they're in some level, they're living and breathing over time. And so there's this review and it's about communicating that and being tied with your digital team to make sure and say, hey, here's how we're going to manage the business. We think this is efficient for us. Let's compare that. And then at least if you're doing that in a timely level, then they can take that and then layer in the other levels of, of um, SEO type attributes and things that they need to run a good digital platform and, and kind of layer that on there. And if they see any places for 
you know, better overlap, you know, that they felt like were missed, then you can have that dialogue then and just kind of make a joint decision. And that would be part of, you know, that whole kind of um, data stewardship kind of process where different pieces of the organization kind of weigh in um, and we, you collaboratively find the best path that works for everyone. Would you consider that annual hierarchy review discussion a best practice? Would it be, is annual um, often enough or it should it be? My personal opinion is like annual should be the max um, because as you're building out your budgets and there are a lot of systems that have to be changed that are integrated, whether it's your planning system, your allocation system, your enterprise, you know, business intelligence systems, you know, reporting systems, all of those changes to hierarchy flow or should flow through all these systems, especially if you're using master data, like Deanna was saying, as your, you know, system of record and, and which is a good best practice to feed out to these things. So a lot of changes happen and it's very disruptive. And usually that process is called reclass. That's where you're moving data and assigning it to different levels of the hierarchy. If you're doing that too often, um, you can't marry back up plans per, per se. Sometimes one plus one doesn't equal two when you make certain moves. And so it can be extremely disruptive to the business and being able to track back um, your data accurately. And so reclasses really should be limited. Um, I advise not more than once a year. And usually you wait till finances close the previous year, and then you make your changes and then you stick with that hierarchy for that year from a financial standpoint. And, and so that way you just kind of do it after close of business each year, you do that review. More than that can be very disruptive. It can affect people's pay plans. It can affect how you, the accuracy of your business results and how it's viewed. Um, it, it, it can be very disruptive. And, and there are people who do it way too often, I would say. Um, and, and they just kind of have to live through those, those disruptions. And they, there's all kinds of notes. And you know they have to just remember that this doesn't really mean what that says or the history isn't correct. And some master data systems you know, will carry history forward and it'll move history for you. Others may not. And so it's, it, it really needs to be thoughtful. And, and I, would, I would rather slow down, be more thoughtful, and do a, a one-time-a-year review versus less. Yeah, I, I would say I, I really violently agree that more than once a year executing changes to these types of structures is really disruptive. But I do advise businesses in their quarterly business review process, whatever they call that, their seasonal review process, you know, each business may have a different lingo for that, to take that time to say, if we could have looked at our business differently in this quarter we're looking at, what would we have looked at differently? Do we wish there had been something else? Because when you only review it annually, it's, it's that moment in time is what rises to the top as the thing you need to change. And you've kind of forgotten about, oh, yeah, but six months ago, we were asking questions in a different way. How is the structure going to support it when we're back in spring again at the end of this time next year? So I, I strongly agree you shouldn't be executing changes more than once a year, but you should be talking about a wish list more than once a year. So it's an aggregate of a lot of different points in time throughout your business cycle that you consider executing changes to when you get to that point. Completely agree. And the one caveat I thought of while you were talking are, are pure additions. Mm -hmm. Those can be done intermittently within the season. As an example, if there's a new business category that never existed and it's just a pure add to the company, um, or it, maybe it's a, a celebrity collaboration that we're gonna launch or something which happens sometimes, those can be added. New additions that have never had history can be added at any time. They're not disruptive, they can talk. It's really where you're changing and moving from one place to the other that can be disruptive. Mm -hmm. But that's really where a data governance 
process and owner comes in because it sounds very simple and I agree it should be quite simple to just add in tech terms a node to your existing data structures that should be quite simple but what if it's not a data governance process and team is the, the way that we tie out those loose ends and say hey for this part of our topography adding it isn't a problem and we know exactly how to execute that and what batch jobs need to be run etc which reports will need to be manually impacted etc but this part of our ecosystem isn't nimble and so who is going to manage that ad for that part of our ecosystem and there's always a mix it's never just we run this thing overnight this weekend and everyone's good it's never that simple i, I would just add too that um and you both touched on it, i think earlier and I think the, the point on uh, on data governance uh, kind of segues into the thought that I was having. You know, although these changes can happen uh, if they're if they're planned and it's whether it's annually or or at a new addition, the criteria for what it, what constitutes a worthwhile change to the hierarchy is important to keep in mind. Um, you know, I think we've seen a lot of a lot of people in the absence of maybe a robust reporting structure or reporting tools have reorganized hierarchies in order to satisfy uh, the way people want to look at the business, even though it may not fit to some of those criteria around being planful and, and organized your business the way Marty had spoken about it earlier. So I think it, it kind of goes to that data governance model of, of when we do agree that changes need to be made, what are the criteria and make sure that it's a, a worthwhile change and it's going to have the impact that you desire and that you're not doing it uh, for the wrong reasons or to solve problems that really shouldn't be solved uh, via the hierarchy. Yeah, so the data stewardship, data governance is overall all data, but hierarchy is certainly how to manage that is within that realm. And we talked That's a lot about that data governance. Um, other, So we talked about once a year, Max making the actual changes, but evaluating throughout the year changes that should be made during that one time cycle. What other best practices are there in either creating or maintaining the hierarchy? The other word that comes to mind and comes up in these discussions often is the notion of persistence. That if the way we've structured our information, again, whether that's hierarchy or other master data information, if the way we are, we're organizing what we know about our business changes every year, there's no ability to compare year over year because it takes a structural change to make an apples to apples comparison. That is a, a, a direct violation of some best practices. That the notion of persistence really underlies this whole topic. It needs to be persistent, not just one year to the next, but many years in a row. That's a good acid test for a great structure and for a good data governance process. How do you know if your use of hierarchies or your own hierarchy is not working for you? What are the red flags? You keep asking questions that require somebody to go manually scramble to get an answer for. <laughs> I know we've done work in hierarchies across a number of different clients and, and MDM. What, what types of, what are the biggest problems that we've solved? I do a lot of hierarchy work with clients sometimes in preparation for other capability inclusion that maybe they haven't, because usually 
where I see, you know, people kind of erring and they'll either have their hierarchies too high or way too low. And when they're way too low, they usually cause excess workload. When they're way too high, to Deanna's point, you're constantly doing one-off processes just to get to the answer or to do a good plan or to get a good projection or to analyze the business. Both of those are bad. It's about finding that kind of that sweet spot. And, and sometimes it's harder than others depending on the business quality. But um, the most common times that I usually address hierarchy um, very consistently is if I'm going into an assortment planning process, like you know, they want to do assortment planning um, they're, or they're going to go into a new tool. One of my first steps is I look at their hierarchy structure, then product hierarchy and location hierarchy, because that affects clustering or that affects their product assortment and how, what level they're going to have to plan down to and, and roll those plans to. Uh, and that can be really important. And if there need to be changes, sometimes we try to schedule those implementations around that annual review to make sure we can get that reclass in first so that as we put in that new capability, um, we have a good base structure to build out those product selections more around customer choice patterns, how we're going to plan and execute our business, whether it's from pricing, inventory, and, and how we drive that, that business. Um, the other scenario a lot of times around analytics, which also you would like to have as part of your assortment information as well. Um, and that sometimes can be tricky. And so, you know, the way analytics works is, you know, sometimes at the very bottom at a, at a kind of a skew store can be too low. And so understanding how best to group your products together to drive that signal and, and drive a better result can also be important and understanding which products go together well. Um, and and hopefully if you're following the rules like Deanna was talking about earlier, that should naturally be occurring and you will find places where that does occur. And then there might be some scenarios where you want to break something out because the price, the price ranges and how customers react to that particular set of products doesn't align with the other things that it's grouped in. So you might want to break out another class or another subclass or something to get a better result from your analytic process. Um, but those are the two probably major ones that I'm constantly reviewing the um, hierarchy against before I start. And one other thing I think, you know, and going a little bit back to, you know, how do you know uh, if you've got an issue with your hierarchy? It's, it's like a lot of times listen to your planners. You know, if, if they are um, are saying I'm spending, you know, I've got I've got 15 classes and I've got to plan these all down to the week level for the next 18 months. And they are raising a, an issue with how much um, time they're spending on a class that only has you know, a very small percentage of their business, then it, it may be a, some, a, a question you raise around the hierarchy there. What other mistakes that do you see retailers making when they're managing or maintaining their hierarchy? The loudest voice wins. <laughs> I, I think that's true of any topic we could talk about with uh, retail management, but um, all three of us said earlier that the calendar leg of this hierarchy stool should be the easiest, but that that is a place we often see, just as an example, that the finance org perhaps has decided to aggregate the when it happened view of the information in a different way than they know merchants or sourcing or marketing is looking at the past. But they they have regulations and, and, and lots of rules and reasons and, and authority to look at things in that way. And so they do. And the other teams feel like, well, but when finance asks me, I, I do have to translate it into the way they think about that calendar. I don't have a choice. That 
that's where the rubber hits the road. It comes back to communication. It comes back to if, if it is a fact in your business that you have to speak in these two frames of reference, then let's use software and process and communication to make that easy. Let's not be surprised and hamstrung by that every time we want to come together to talk about our business. We talked about the communication and you know getting together on the annual basis. And we also talked about the data steward role. What other roles are highly influential in making and managing the hierarchy? The data steward role is more like the the collaborative communication hub, right? Versus, you know, being I mean, they are the owner, but they're, they should be taking that input from all these other people. So I think Deanna mentioned a lot of them anecdotally as we were going through, like planning is going to be a huge one because um, that's how you're managing finance is going to have some components. You know, there are some areas where because of certain legal requirements or laws that are in place in certain states or places, they may need to be able to break out a certain component of products. And so they may have a, a point of view around certain, usually to a lesser degree sometimes than others, marketing as an example, might might want some influence, digital, you know, representatives from the digital platforming team and e-commerce and different channels, um, even your organizational hierarchy, those people, you know, who are managing stores and um, the different selling locations would want um, some conversation if they need to break out new regions or districts or, you know, if they, if they feel like your location hierarchy needs to adjust a little bit, your supply chain can be because sometimes your distribution centers also can fall under that location hierarchy component um, uh, as well, depending on the scenario. And so it is really about that person organizing that 360 degree kind of conversation to get all of those talking points onto the table and make sure if there are conflicts and what each of the people want, that we kind of measure those and, and decide what the best path is for the organization. And that's really the most, I think, valuable role of that data steward is, is managing that 360 degree conversation and, and getting all of that accumulated so that the rest is just management. Yeah, it's very much a mediator role. It, it's, it's often, unfortunately, gets treated like a policing role. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and some component of it has to be that. You have to reach agreement and consensus on the way we're gonna govern our data and then hold ourselves accountable to doing so. But it also has to be a team. I don't think, I don't think Marty or I would ever propose it's a single threaded role. It's gotta be enough so that we've got coverage at all times, but it's gotta be a group that says, I hear you. What's happening today is no longer working for us. We did reach an agreement that it is this way today, but I hear you. It's, it has had unintended consequences. And so I need to be open to listen to it changing. And one thing I've seen is when this role emerges as a technology team owned role, it's, it's a slippery slope into becoming quite, governance is about saying no, because the rules said we wouldn't do it that way. On the other hand, when it's a business only owned role, it turns into everything as a yes because the business said so and it's chaotic. It's got to be someone who can mediate the real constraints, but the real needs from both vantage points. How about innovations? Are there innovations in managing hierarchies? I don't know if they're innovations. It's more kind of thinking along the best practice. I mean, they've been around, but I, I don't know if I would call integration innovation necessarily at this phase in our in our society, but making sure that, you know, how Deanna spoke earlier, like you're managing this in a master data system, have a, if you have a good master data system in place, 
um, with the right levels of functionality, being able to utilize that point of entry and control as your as your source of the truth, right? And it has the you have the ability to then pass that hierarchy and any changes associated out to other systems, but making sure all of the systems stay aligned, right? Um, and now that being said, there you know there is a topic that we didn't talk about um, around alternate hierarchy. So. And that can be system specific or that can be point solution specific. And there are scenarios where that can become important. Um, why that, I don't know, again, if it's an innovation or just a kind of a, a best practice option is it, it prevents you from adulterating your base foundational hierarchy. So as an example, and I usually find this in planning and Deanna may have some other examples where, you know, in department store, as an example, where I work, like they usually will make agreements with vendors. And so they want to do very specific vendor planning, whereas you wouldn't want necessarily to put vendor in your core foundational data structure because vendors come and go. And like Deanna mentioned, persistence is the most important thing. So that might be a normal class subclass structure um, that's in your foundational data. However, from there's a planning scenario where I'm trying to work with vendor partners and it's not everyone but there there are a substantial number of vendor partners where i want to build agreements with i want to produce plans at that level and be able to roll those up and do kind of a reconciliation with my key accounts um, account could be another example if you're in a more of a wholesale standpoint um, working by account level that doesn't always necessarily mean it's the best practice to be in your foundational hierarchy and so certain tools um, that are on the market will allow you to create kind of an alternate structure within that point solution. Um, and you can kind of have both that kind of live and you can kind of reconcile both ways. Um, that would be an example of how not to, to screw up your base foundational hierarchy and yet still allow for a particular planning scenario that adds value and financial gain into a particular business process. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think alternate hierarchies is an example. Attribution is another. Um, and a data governance team and process, their role should be to sit in the middle of stakeholders saying, here's what I need and why, and then proposing how. I wouldn't expect a business owner to come to me and say, I need an alternate hierarchy. Well, maybe. Tell me what you're trying to accomplish and why, and, and then let's work together and talk about the pros and cons of that being an alternate attribution, it being in your primary hierarchy, it not being in any of that because that's actually not the way to meet your need. Um, that's, again, that's, a, that's the hub of doing this well is a, an allegiance to a data governance process and everyone agreeing, I will be heard there, but I will comply with what comes out of there. I've seen companies that maybe don't have an enterprise um, reporting structure and enterprise business intelligence platform that either consumes or allows them to run things off of attribution, like Deanna was saying. And so that sometimes if, if they don't have the ability to run reporting based on attributes, that can cause a fr frustration and stress, and it will cause people to want to adjust the hierarchy because it, they're limited in the levels at which they can pull data. Having a more robust business intelligence approach can really eliminate some of that stress around what needs to be in the hierarchy versus how I can still get meaningful reporting by just utilizing attribution or something. And then, of course, while we're on that talk about, make sure attribution is a focus of your organization, and which can also go into your master data platform. Some platforms are better and worse at allowing for enough attribution or attribution at all, um, and there might you might need some extended 
software programs to allow for the levels of attribution that you may really need. Um, and having that ability to attribute can really mean the difference from how much you need to put in your hierarchy versus what you can really work through and reporting and other outside analysis and still get everything that you need. Yeah, the counterpoint to hierarchies being persistent is attribution needs to be very nimble. And, and it does take a master data management mindset and a data governance structure to accomplish both. And I imagine what that looks like is going to differ depending on the retailer, the business, the segment, that type of thing. So those decisions, that's not going to be a one size fits all for sure. Okay. And not just the type of retailer, but also the ecosystem of solutions that they have. Those sure. can be both enablers and constraints in making good decisions in this area. And how you approach attribution can vary wildly based on the your business process and the systems that you have available because attribution can be very manual and time consuming because every product that gets set up, you have, and the thing I say at attribution, just like Deanna was talking about persistency in the um, hierarchy, consistency is really key in attribution. If you've decided to tag an attribute, you can't tag it sometimes and not other times for it to be meaningful and actually work for you. It has to be tagged all the time on every product. There has to be a decision point of, uh, is it tagged? Um, companies who use like vendor catalogs to download information, that's a great way to buy step that workload issue and kind of import uh, a lot of those meaningful attributes. And so you, it's less data entry. Um, smaller companies who may don't use vendor catalogs, um, they may have a little bit more manual data. And so in those scenarios, maybe be more selective about how many attributes that you use and, and really kick the meaningful ones up, you know, in the hierarchy. And, and usually there's a core set of call them nine or 10 attributes that should be required for every product setup. And then there you've got extended attributes, you know, around just product embellishments, which are going to be used a lot in certainly in e-com and other places that may not apply to all products, but um, will be scenario based depending on the product and need. But there's a whole different level of work around attribution, as Deanna was kind of implicating, um, that is just as important as the hierarchy if you really want to excel and, and, and push out front. If somebody listening realizes, I, I sound like the problem child of hierarchies, What's the first step besides call Parker Avery, but where can they begin to write the ship? Start by working with other stakeholders that you think are experiencing your pain and comparing notes. Hey, when, when I try to answer that question that boss number four always asks, how are you answering that? What are you doing? Let's put our heads together and figure out if there's a better way. And that, that usually will become the, the nucleus of a very organic, but quickly expanding conversation. <laughs> Agreed, that's exactly what I was about to say. And then when you do call Parker Avery, you've already got a list of known problem or pain points and uh, we can certainly dig right in for them. But yeah, I agree. I was about to say like, yeah, pull some people together and, and start itemizing those pain points and, and, and how people are solving it in different ways. Awesome. All right, any last words of wisdom about hierarchy? I think maybe just that it, it always sounds a lot scarier than it is. The, the, I think the much scarier future when you find yourself in a problem area on this topic is to do nothing because it will obstruct your ability to take advantage of what are quickly becoming table, table stakes capabilities like analytics. If, if you don't resolve this, you will not be able to do things your competitors are doing. And, and that's much worse than diving into the deep end of, yes, this murky pool 
but there are teams out there like ours that have seen this and done this and we're here to help. Agreed. I was going to go kind of the same route and, and say, if you remember one thing, like remember that it's easier to maintain a good hierarchy than it is to clean one up. And so once you, once you get something in a good place, that's where that, that um, data stewardship and those structural um, rules that Deanna talked about go into place. You may want be tempted to swerve away from them, but it's much easier to maintain a good structure than it is to clean one up. Very different level of effort. And, and to your point, I have seen lots of scenarios. We get into lots of conversations where people delay meaningful capability inclusion because they don't have the time or the effort, or, you know, it's just overwhelming to clean up the hierarchy issues. And, and those can, can be a big, a big lift out, out front. And uh, so once you get it right, keep it right. Keep it clean. Being thoughtful and understanding better how hierarchies interact with all of the different components of your business will help give you the right lens to be uh, critical uh, of making sure that the way that you're, you're thinking about aligning aligns with the, the goals you're, you're having in terms of you know, developing plans or budgets or, or those type of things. And just kind of being thoughtful about it before you, you make a, a, a quick decision to make a change. Make sure that you understand uh, how it's going to flow and, and what the implications may be. All right. Awesome. Y'all, thank you for joining me on a Wednesday. We usually record on Friday, but today's Wednesday in the middle of the week. And uh, appreciate the very insightful conversation. I learned a lot, as I always do, from, from my team um, and the hierarchy. So I uh, wish you the very best of the rest of your afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's a wrap for this episode of Talk Retail to Me. If you have questions related to today's topic, please visit our website at parkeravery.com to learn more and to contact us. Also, we'd love it if you shared Talk Retail to Me with any of your colleagues. It's streaming on all the major podcast platforms and the videos are available on our YouTube channel. For more Parker Avery industry expertise and advice, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.